Can you hear me? Oh, yes. You want a switched on speaker, don't you? Yeah, yeah we're switched on now. Okay. Thank you for your welcome, and um, yeah, you're a friendly bunch. I uh, appreciate your welcome. I appreciate the prayers, especially those who came a bit earlier, prayed before the service and during the service. I'm here the, this morning. I speak for Creation Ministries a couple of weekends a month. I don't work for them all the time. I drove down from the little town of Martin. Our main office is up in Auckland, but I keep away from that, and yeah, I'm happy in our little town, and I love to speak about creation. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I grew up loving science so much that I became an engineer. Engineers take things that we find in science and create things, build things with them. I grew up as an engineer. I had one of those jobs that I loved so much that I often said, I never got tested on this, but well, I sort of did, I often said that um, I would do my job even if I didn't get paid. You know, anyone else got a job like that? A little bit rare, but yeah. Anyway, um, God sent me away from that and sent me to the Philippines where we raised our six children and lived there for 21 years, learned a a small um, tribal, the language of a, a tribal group there and started to translate the Bible into their language. So why did I give up a great career to translate the Bible into language that none of you have ever heard of down in the south of the Philippines, because I believe this is God's word. Okay? Are you on the same page? You believe this is God's word? Okay. So I actually work. I still work during the week as a Bible translator. That's my main work. Um, We've been home in New Zealand for eight years, and thanks to internet and things, we're able to communicate with the team over there who just in January finished translating the whole Bible into their own language. And so we're doing the final checks and everything now. So yes, in case you didn't get it, I believe the Bible is God's word. But I started a little bit confused. You see, when I was a teenager, I went actually to a a Bible chapel, and I went to Sunday school, and I learned about God and the Bible. I also went to school, like most of us do, and had science teachers, especially when you get to high school, and they start to teach about creation, uh, about evolution, and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, well, you know, these Sunday school teachers, surely they don't lie, and I trust the Bible. Surely my teachers at school wouldn't lie when they say, talk about the Big Bang and evolution. And as a teenager, and I'm even ashamed to say I was taught this in church, I was taught that God probably, they fitted together, God probably created us using evolution. And God probably created the universe using the Big Bang. I no longer believe that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. It was when I was given a copy of Creation magazine. This is what changed my life. I read it. And I thought, man, I wished I'd known this when I was a teenager. I wished I'd known some of this stuff, some of what I'm going to teach you this morning. I wished I had known this when I was at university. I went back to university, did some more study, and um, so I could speak on this. So this magazine changed my life, and we'll talk about more about that later in the service. Now, creation.com is our website. That's really hard to remember, isn't it? Creation.com. But the neat thing about it, it is easy to remember. Creation.com, the neat thing to, to read it, to know about that, right in the middle there, um, is the search box. Now, I was only given an hour and a half to speak this morning, so I can't cover. Oh, was it? Was it too? Oh. No, not really. No, honestly, um, I can only touch on the subject this morning. I can just touch on a few parts. It's a big subject, covers cosmology, geology, all sorts of areas that I can't touch on. But if you go to creation.com, there's over 8,000 articles available for you there. And um, I know you've got your church app and all that, but put that aside for a minute and go to creation.com. Yeah. 
No, it is really good. So things like carbon dating, I just can't touch that in a service or anything like this this morning. Real important questions are a lot of real important questions. So my topic is sort of called, is Genesis history? But actually, to let you into the secret, that's not the real topic. The real topic is, can we trust the Bible as God's word? This is 2018, isn't it? To the, the science age, I hear on the radio all this time, old government stuff, they talk about evidence-based. This was an evidence-based decision, it means we put science way up there, and if a scientist sees it, that will take that as evidence, it must be true. What do they say about this book? Oh, we don't want this anymore, this is some old book, thousands of years old, we don't want to hear that stuff anymore. Is that what you hear? Yeah, we get it. We get it, this stuff about this book. So is it, can we still build our lives on what this says in 2018? Is it still um, worthy of us building our lives on? So that's what we're going to look at. But why is that even important? Because we want to share the story of Jesus, what Jesus did for us. Jesus loves you. Well, actually, a lot of young people don't even know what the word love means these days. They think of jumping in bed, and that's about as big as they can understand love. But no, but see that fellow with his arms folded? You know, he's a bit reluctant to believe that. Do you know why? Because he actually read a little bit of the Bible. And he started reading the Bible, and he read about how God made Adam and Eve, and then they had some children. Can anyone tell me any of their names? Cain, Abel, Seth, you know something? They're all boys' names. Got that? And this young fella, he went to his pastor and he said, who did Cain marry? The Bible says he got married. Who did he marry? His mother? What other woman was around? And the pastor said, oh, just have faith. Don't ask questions. Now, I encourage you, I hope you don't have a pastor like that. I encourage you to ask questions. Ask questions. Use your God-given brain and ask questions. And um, some of the other things, you know, this fella learned at school that dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. And he asked about that at church, and, and they weren't quite sure. Well, um, a dinosaur uh, in the Bible? Uh, maybe? Uh, no? Uh, whatever. We'll come to that later on. So there are a lot of questions. But let me say right at the beginning, just to be clear, we don't have answers to all of our questions. Okay, there are a number of questions we will simply have to ask God. You know, why did my little sister die at such and such an age? Or, you know, all, all sorts of questions that we have to ask God. But some of these questions we do have good answers to, sensible answers. And hopefully we can remove a stumbling block there. Oh, so let me test you. Let's imagine that next Friday night we're all, I don't know where uptown is from here, but we all go out where everybody's gathering and, and we start talking to people on the street about Jesus and some young fella comes up and says, oh, the Bible's nonsense because who did Cain marry? Put up your hand if you think you could give a sensible, believable answer as to who Cain must have married. One, two, oh, that's better than a lot of churches, like at least half a dozen. Well, well, the good news is that all the rest of you are going to buy this book later on. <laughs> the Creation Answers book has the answers, it says on the back, to the 60 most commonly asked questions concerning the Bible and science. Things like Noah's flood, where did the water come from, where did it go to, um, carbon dating, who did Cain marry, it's all in there. It's actually our best-selling book. Um, we, we mention it not to separate you from your cash, but again, because this is only like an entree. You know, if you went to a restaurant, you can't get full on the entree. 
You go to the manager and say, that didn't fill me up. And he said, of course not. You've got to order the main course if you want to be full. And, you know, honestly, this is um, part of the main course if you're interested in learning more. You see, one of the problems we have in churches, and this is a problem throughout New Zealand, all denominations throughout the entire Western world. Um, I saw all the young people, all the children take off somewhere, I don't know where they are, some other rooms, and they are learning. What are they learning for? For 35, 40, 45 an hour a week, learning about God's Word. But the other five days of the week, where are they? At school. What are they learning at school? They're learning that... The government is saying, Richard Dawkins actually pointed out, he said, it seems like young children, when they grow up, they have this automatic thought that we must be designed and that the world must be designed. He said, we've got to start teaching them younger and younger and get rid of that inherent thought that we are designed and we must teach them we're just an accident of evolution. We just evolved by accident over millions of years. And that's, there's a real push for that. And a lot of it is associated with the sexual revolution, which we don't have time to get into this morning. So what we're going to do, we're going to start looking uh, at the Bible this morning. We might get to a bit of science if I don't ramble too much. And we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to see what does it say. So you're probably familiar with these words. Pretty familiar? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very first words in the Bible in Genesis 1. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Let's just pause there for a minute. I've got to tell you about something called the Big Bang. I'm sure you've heard of it. It was a name that was given in derision at first and it kind of stuck and became an affectionate name for a number of mathematical theories. According to what they call the Big Bang, if we went back about 14 billion years back in time to the beginning, all the matter in the universe was in a tiny dot. And this, um, it wasn't really an explosion, but it expanded, space expanded and was full of, well, had hydrogen and helium, some helium as space expanded. Get that? Hydrogen's a gas, helium's a gas. So in the Big Bang, in the first instance, there was only gases. Now, we're made of more solid things. So what they believe is that clouds of hydrogen gathered together and formed big clumps of hydrogen, and then gravity made them implode and form burning hot stars. And going across the stage, representing hundreds of millions of years passing, those stars burnt out, and they exploded, what we call a supernova, and they sent all the heavier elements out into the universe. So hydrogen, helium we had back there. Now we've got lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, all the things we're made of were made in the stars. And then some of this dirt and dust and rocks that are now in space, they started to clump together. You know how rocks, when you throw them at each other and pull balls, they just clump all together in a big clump in the middle of the table. They got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then gravity made that implode, and that's how they say our planet formed, a red-hot planet from that force of that implosion. It took about half a billion years to cool down, then Darwinian evolution was able to start, and eventually we got us. But let me just point out one thing. When the Earth was formed, according to the Big Bang Theory, it was a red-hot planet that took half a billion years to cool down. Now, I grew up thinking I could fit the Big Bang into the Bible. But let me ask you a question. Looking at the screen, can you tell me when God created the Earth, was it red-hot? No. Can someone tell me why they said no? What tells you? Liquid water. 
liquid water. We pay billions of dollars, put um, spaceships and telescopes there up beyond the clouds looking for other planets. Now they have liquid water. We know how precious it is in the universe. Do you know how many other planets amongst the billions they expected or millions they expected to find? How many other planets are exactly like our Earth? Liquid water, an atmosphere, a uh, ma magnetosphere that protects us from the cosmic rays? Zero. But no, the Earth was never a red-hot planet. When God created it, it had liquid water on it. So does the Big Bang fit into the Bible? No, it doesn't. And we'll give you another reason in a minute. Let's, um, oh, let me just go back. Um, God said, let there be light. And how did he uh, create light? By the power of his word. Yes. And we learn from John chapter 1 that the word is actually Jesus Christ was the creator. Wow, he's there right on the first page. And we didn't even know until we got to John, found out what happened there. So the six days of creation. First day, God creates the heavens and the earth. Second day, he separates the waters above from the waters below. On the third day, he makes the land shift its levels, and the dry land appears, and the water fills the ocean basins, and he makes all the plants and trees and up there. On the fourth day, he makes the sun, moon, and stars. Oh, that's interesting. In the Big Bang, you have to have the stars to make the the dirt and stuff that planets are made out of. So in the Big Bang, stars come first, planets come later. In the creation account, God makes the heaven and the earth, to get that, on day one, and he makes the sun, moon, and stars come later. So they're actually in the wrong order. Another reason the Big Bang doesn't fit into the Bible. You with me there? Yeah. It's, uh, the creation account is the earth first, the stars later, and the Big Bang, it's the other way around. On day five, he made the flying creatures, fills the atmosphere, fills the oceans with the swimming creatures. On day six, he makes the land animals. Does this look like a land animal? Yeah, so when must he have been made, according to the scriptures? On day six, along with the other animals. And then God looks around, and he finds a good-looking ape, and he says, I'm going to pluck a bit of hair out of you, and... <laughs> Wasn't that mean? Wasn't that mean? This is what is taught actually in some Bible colleges. One of the problems with um, speaking about creation is that we expect that atheists will not believe the scriptures. Okay, this is God's word. We claim, they claim it's just a bunch of old wives' tales and nonsense and superstitious stuff. We expect atheists to say that about the scriptures. One of the problems, though, is that within the church, there's also been an attack, not on the scriptures as a whole so much as on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And in a number of Bible colleges and other places in this country, they are teaching that Adam and Eve were not made from the soil, but were, Adam was actually made from an ape. God plucked out some hair, made his brain a bit bigger, put a soul in him and said, I'm going to call you Adam. Took another one and put a soul in her and called her Eve. But what does the Bible tell us? Does, what was Adam made from? I told you already, from the soil. And Eve was made from Adam, from his rib. Now that has a major influence on who we are and what we are and what we sung about already this morning. Who are you? Are you an animal that accidentally, over a long time, evolved into a, a, a person and God put a soul in? Or you, are you a man and a woman that was originally, our ancestors were made from the soil? You know, that means we're not related to the animals. Can you see the difference? If we come from the soil, we are not related to the animals. Yes, 
they can call us mammals because we have, you know, the same circulatory structure and, and um, um, hair and skin and all that sort of stuff. But no, the Bible teaches us we are not related to the animals. We are made from the soil. The animals um, are wonderful, incredible, beautiful, amazing. But we are made differently and we are made as men and women in God's image. I wrote down what we sung before. Now, what did we sing? It said, I am a child of God. And a song earlier, I am who you say I am. And I'll tell you who God says you are. You are a man or a woman made in his image. Did you see all these instruments up here? Did you hear that flute the, and the um, electronics and the percussion and all that working together and all those songs and chords and things? All of that working together. How come that we have a love of creating, of building things? Could it be we're made in the image of the creator? I mean, all these instruments were created and made. And how come we love worship and singing and write songs and compose harmonies and all that? Could it be that we're made in the image of a God who loves worship? And how come we love beautiful things? Evolution might explain why I might think girls are beautiful, but why do I think the flowers and the sunset and the seashore and the rice paddies in the Philippines, that beautiful green, just can't imagine it, the taste of durian fruit, um, all these things, why do we think all these things are beautiful? Are we made in the image of a God of beauty? Oh, what about language? I've got this amazing dog at home. It's a golden retriever, and it sits by the fire, and it's such a lovely dog, and it seems so intelligent. I'd love to ask her what she's thinking. I could ask her, but can she tell me? No, we have the gift of language. We can share our hurts, our pains, our joys, our desires, our hopes for the future, because we have the gift of language. Could it be that we're made in the image of a God who used language to talk to us, didn't he? Didn't he? Yes, it could, will be. So this is what I'd say. And I say it, tell your children, don't let anyone call you an animal. In the news, you'll see it. You'll see about the human animal um, is overrunning this planet. And when there's too many possums, what do we do? Shoot them, eradicate them, poison them. You know, there are scientists who have actually suggested that the human population be reduced to about 2 billion and be about right for this planet, they say. If you're just another animal, why not? Well, I say, you go first, leave me, you know, <laughs> leave me out of this, but yeah. No, I'm serious, you can look it up. These are the sorts of things that are said, that we need to reduce the population of the human animal. No, we're not a human animal. The earth was made for us. The animals were made for us to enjoy. Yes, we do have a responsibility to be good stewards, I believe. But no, we are not just another invader on this planet. It was made as a home for us, and we are made in God's image. Now, questions. Let's think. In the beginning, there was six days. God made everything in six days, but how long's a day? I mean, Peter wrote, a day with the Lord's like a thousand years. If you only quote the first half of the verse, if you quote the second half, it says the opposite, but we won't get into the mathematics of it. So how long were the days in Genesis? It turns out that most um, Christians believe that the Bible was written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Something like what you believe? But not all of it was. Okay? There's a small part of the Bible that wasn't written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? No, some pastor's knees start to shake when I say, well, I've given you the clue, it's up on the screen. When Moses went up that mountain, if you read carefully in Exodus 20, God wrote on those stone tablets with his own finger. 
Do you know what that means? It means the Ten Commandments were written in God's own handwriting on those tablets of stone. So we can't say, oh, maybe Moses heard it wrong, wrote it down wrong. God wrote it himself. We've got it translated into a language we can understand, and it says, work for six days, not work for 6,000 years or anything like that, work for six days and rest for one day, and that makes up our week. And then it says, four, this is part of the fourth commandment, four in six days, The Lord made something, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Everything in the heavens, wow, everything on the earth, everything in the sea, he made all that in six days. What six days is he talking about? The six days that make up the bulk of our week. The six days of the working week and the one day of rest that makes up our week. So if you weren't sure, actually I didn't even need that because I'm a Bible translator. And when I look at Genesis Chapter 1, I look for words, how they're used in context, and it says, there was evening and there was morning. This is literally what it says in the Hebrew, and that was day one. And then the second day and the third day. So it actually defines the word day, just in case you weren't sure, but if you missed that, then um, there's the Tenth Commandment. No, honestly, we laugh, but the, I, I think these are good questions to ask. I don't mind the question being asked, but there are good reasons to say, yes, we can be confident that when God says a day, he's communicating with us. I mean, pretty bad communication if I said, I'll be back in a few days, and, and it took you know, like 10,000 years before I got back. You know, <laughs> what sort of communication would that be? Um, so yes, that's what God did. So God made everything Oh, did I sneak a new little snippet up there? Where's the verse that says all this was about 6,000 years ago? Does anyone know the verse for that? Good, nobody put up their hands because there isn't one. Um, No. So why do we teach that the earth was made about 6,000 years ago? Now, you know what a family tree is. If you've ever tried to draw one on a piece of paper, your piece of paper you had to glue pieces on because it gets kind of wide. And you have mum and dad and grandma and granddad and the other side and the kids and then they get married and so on. There's a genealogy in Genesis 5, another one in Genesis 10, but it doesn't list all the children. In fact, for each father, it only lists one of his children. Kind of an unusual family tree to only list one child and forget about the others. But then it adds a piece of information. It adds how old each father was when that particular son was born. What a funny thing to have in the Bible. Actually, though, quite handy. I typed all the figures into Microsoft Excel on my um, computer, and I asked it to produce a chart. And how well can you see that from here? Okay, I added a few little extra things to the chart. Let me just go to the side and we can have a look at this. The top line up here represents Adam's lifespan of 930 years. Can you see up the top there? And if we come right to the bottom left, he was created in year zero. And then 130 years later, off the last slide, that's when Seth's lifespan begins. 105 years after that, Enosh, and so on and so forth. All the way down to the bottom right here, we have Abraham lived around 2,000 years after Adam. You got that? Have you ever seen it in a picture before? They say a picture's like a 1,000 words, and and this one really is. It makes it clear. Um, We can see. Now, I want to show you something else while we've got the picture there. I coloured Noah blue, so he's easy to find because there's lots of water in his time, but go up. (laughs) Go up one from Noah. If you go up one from Noah, you find Lamech. Lamech was Noah's dad. And if you follow the orange dotted line up from the left-hand side of Lamech, when Lamech was a young fellow, his father Methuselah was still alive. 
and his grandfather, uh, Enoch, and his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers were all still alive. In fact, uh, Lamech was 56 years old when great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad Adam died. Isn't that amazing? Has anyone talked to their great-grandchildren and told them some of the stories? No, we don't have any. We've probably got plenty of grandparents like myself. Some of us get to be great-grandparents eventually, but, you know, imagine talking to your great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad who's still an an old man of 930-ish, and um, (laughs) think, wow, I want to hear. Tell me, what was it like in that garden when God used to come down and talk with you every night? And, yeah. That was pretty amazing. So you've heard the story that somebody here translated the, uh, wrote some of the Bible and they added some more and they lost it and they found it and they corrupted it and the Catholic Church got into it and all that. You know, we wonder how it was preserved for us. But when you get to live to be almost a 1,000 years old, you can pass on a lot of stories to a lot of generations. Pretty amazing, really. But the main thing we want to take this morning off this is that Abraham lived about 2,000 years after Adam was created. And with the help of their passport um, photos that we archaeologists found, we put it up here. (laughs) The top row from Adam to Abraham over there on the far right, that was 2,000 years from the last slide. And then going across from Abraham, going across to the left to the end of the red there, from Abraham to King David, we don't know it quite exact to the year like we do up to Abraham, but to King David is about another 1,000 years. And then from King David coming around to Christ, you can see there's two lines. Why? There's two genealogies, two different sons of um, King David, one in Luke and one in Matthew. And that's about another 1,000 years. So this is pretty easy addition. 2,000 plus 1,000 plus 1,000, there's 4,000 years of genealogies up there. And I brought my calendar up the front just in case I got nervous and forget, but it, it says 2,000 and something on the front. So to the right of the chart up there, because this is, this is what, 2018 since, since Christ, isn't it? So that goes up to Christ, so add another couple of thousand years to that, and what do we find? That Adam must have lived about 6,000 years ago. Can you see that? It's, it's pretty clear. Oh, so when was the earth created? Oh, I remember. The heavens and the earth were made on day one, And Adam was made on day six. So if he lived about 6,000 years ago, then this must be about 6,000 years and six days old, more or less. Can you see it there? You can see that? Yeah, that's what um, the Bible is teaching us. So if we um, ask the scientists, though, we can see an awful lot of zeros for the the Big Bang, the universe, 13.7 billion years for um, our solar system and our planet, 4.5 billion years. You think... How can they be so different? If they're right, I think the Bible must be wrong. If the Bible's right, I think they're wrong. We'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. I'm going to pause just um, for a minute. I've got two sets of clipboards to pass around this morning. The first one is another free offer. I mean, the first free offer was the website, obviously, that everything on there is free. Um, The other free offer is an email newsletter. So if this topic of um, creation, evolution, science, and the Bible, um, and these sort of issues are 
interesting to you, you're welcome to subscribe to a free email newsletter. It comes out every one or two weeks when they discover a new dinosaur or, or some um, interesting fact, then they'll, they'll send out a newsletter. Um, so we're passing around some folders. As long as you can write your email address clearly so we can get it right, type it into our computer, you're welcome to subscribe to a free email newsletter. And if you get it for a while and then find it's not for you, then of course um, you can easily unsubscribe. But let's talk about all those zeros while the folders go around. How could it be so different? How could someone think it's, the Bible's saying 6,000 years and scientists have got all those billions of years? Let me just do a quick thought experiment with you. Let's invite Adam up onto the stage. Let's invite him up. He was created on day six. Let's invite him up on day 13. Adam, would you come up to this? Oh, could you just please put a towel around? That would be nice. Thank you. Um, here's Adam. He's one week old. Okay. Now, I want you to look at him and tell me, if I hadn't told you how old he was, how old would you think he was just looking at him standing there? I mean, you've seen a one-week-old baby. Does he look like that? No. So how old do you think he might be? Perhaps like he looks like a 20-something-year-old, perhaps? Yeah, we don't know. But he certainly doesn't look like he's a week old. But what if we were to test his DNA? Excuse me, can you give me a, a cheek swab, a saliva sample, and let's test his DNA? What if we tested his DNA? And in the, the university where they tested it, they said, man, they said, we've never seen DNA like that. It's almost like he's only a week old. You know, there's no um, mutations from cosmic rays. It's like he's only a week old. Could you see that? Would be a possibility. So in some places, he kind of looks old, he looks like he's 20-something, I mean, he can stand up, you know, he's usually a year old or roundabout, if he can um, stand up and walk and talk and all that, so he looks like he's kind of a young adult, and yet there's other measures that make him look young. So what might we expect about the earth? We might expect the same. If we looked at some things, it might appear that it was old, because when God created it, it was whole. Didn't have to grow from a marble into the earth or anything. He made it whole. He made a working universe. When he made the trees, did we have to wait for hundreds of years for the seeds to grow? Did Adam and Eve see trees? Of course they saw trees. God made trees. Um, so we'd expect that some things would be show us an old earth and some would a, a young earth if we looked at the right things. But a lot of scientists don't even know that there are two kinds of science. One kind of science that we know about, this is from the subject of the philosophy of science, or the limits of science, there's something called experimental science. Chemistry, physics, a lot of biology, all those, many of those things are experimental science. Do you know what that is? Where you do experiments. So let me test gravity. Let me let go of this glass. Could go up and hit that, whatever is up there. It could go flying out the door, keep your heads down, and it could go down and hit the floor. So I could do a science experiment to test gravity by letting go of this glass. Could I not? Should I? Maybe, maybe not. But, but, it gets even better still. I'm sure out there I saw a whole cafe thing. There's probably a whole drawers and drawers of glasses. So you could all, you don't have to watch my experiment. You can all go and get your own and drop your own. Shall we do that? Wouldn't that be fun for church? You'd talk about it for weeks. Um, we all tested gravity. Uh, so, what other kind of science is there where we can't do experiments in the same way? It has a few names, historical science, 
origin science, if we're talking about the origin of the universe and the Big Bang, or if a detective were to use it, we'd call it forensic science. You see, here's um, a, a, a scene where the detectives got called in. A lady was found dead on the floor of her apartment. So how did she die? Well, maybe she was washing the floor and slipped over, and, and that, maybe she had a heart attack. Maybe someone came up behind her and hit her on the head with a lead pipe and stole her Samsung Galaxy 9 phone or something. Um, lots of ways she could have died, okay? So what does the detective do? He says, oh, maybe she was stabbed. So he stands her up again and stabs her because he wants to do an experiment. He wants to use science, doesn't he? So he stands her up and stabs her. Oh, no, she didn't lie like that. Can he do that? No. Um, we can't bring her back to life, can we? Her death is something irreversible. So we can do some science. We can measure the temperature of her body. We can check if her heart is damaged. We can check if there's poisons in her blood. Maybe her husband put arsenic in her wheat bix that morning. You know, we, we check for those things. But what a detective has to do is look at the clues and he'll go before the, um, what do they call that person? The coroner. And they'll say, this is what we believe happened to this woman. Except the story goes bad here because the story's bad, because actually the detective knows this woman, and he knows that she has a son-in-law who's a druggie and always needs money, and the detective said, I am sure that the son-in-law killed this woman. Okay, so he says, I'm not going to have an autopsy done on her heart. I won't bother checking her blood or anything like that. I'm going to go out and arrest that young fellow. I'm sure he did it. I just described a good detective or a bad detective. Why is he a bad detective? It's because he made up his mind before he got the evidence. He should have gotten, collected all the evidence and seen where the evidence points to. In the case of detectives, we call it the clues, where the clues point to. The evidence should be pointing to something. Now, what if we had a scientist who said, I'm going to do science, but I am sure there's no God? Do we have any scientists like that? Absolutely. We have many people in our society said, I am sure there is no God. Have they said they're sure they're no God because they've checked all the evidence to see if there is any evidence? No. They're saying it because it's an assumption. And because of that, they're not looking for any evidence that the world is young or it was created or that we were created, that we're different from the animals. They don't look for that evidence because they say, I am sure there is no God. Do you know what that means? That means I am sure there is no supernatural world, so everything must have happened just naturally by itself. So the universe must have created itself, and humans must have just sort of been created by themselves, and there's no creator. There's nothing supernatural. That's what they believe. Not because of the proof, but because of their assumption at the beginning that there is no God and their refusal to look to see if there's any more evidence. So why do scientists perhaps get different numbers than we do? Because they're evil, probably no more evil than me. Because they're stupid, probably way more clever than me. No, because they're not open to look at all the evidence if they've made their assumptions too soon. So this is what I learned when um, I was given Creation Magazine, these sorts of things. And along with um, a lot of scientific evidence that if only they would open their eyes and look here or there, that would be available. So um, Creation Magazine, it comes out four times a year. How many people already get it? Just a few, okay. Um, it's a, a really good, helpful magazine, articles for children in the middle. And one of the neat things is that every issue has an article on a scientist 
who actually believes in God and is a creationist. It's important that I make that clear. There are many good um, Christian men and women who, are, who work in science. Often they have to keep their mouths a little bit zipped. So we're going to um, pass around a couple more, um, one more set of clipboards. If you're interested to subscribe to Creation Magazine this morning, um, it's one year for $35 or three years for 98 and we have some free gifts if you pay this morning, if you rip off the little voucher on the right and bring it. If you subscribe for a year, we'll give you a free back issue to take home, and if you subscribe for three years, we'll give you a couple of free DVDs as well. Um, so you're welcome to sign up for that as we go on to look at this fellow, wherever he's gone, and this is Noah. Was there really some old man who rounded up all the animals and put them in a boat for over a year? Richard Dawkins scoffed at the story of Noah. He said, can you imagine Noah going around with his walking stick and going to Australia to get some kangaroos and bring them back? No. Where did the animals come from? God sent them to Noah. He didn't have to go and round them up. So was there really a flood that covered the whole earth? Another area that's under attack in some of the Bible colleges. They say, oh, maybe the flood. Maybe it only happened over here in Mesopotamia and it didn't really cover the whole world. Has anybody heard that? And I scratch my head and I think, Noah took all the birds and all the animals onto the ark and they stayed there for a year. He had to feed them every day and all that. And all they had to do was fly to that hill over there and they could have been quite happy. No. The flood only makes sense if it was a global, worldwide flood. Is there enough water to, to flood the whole world? Yes, if we squash all the mountains and lift up the sea floors, there's enough water in our oceans. We just look at the color of this globe, it pretty much looks blue. And um, there's enough water there to cover the whole planet to the depth of 2.7 kilometers. It's still there right now. And so, um, yes, but he didn't survive the flood in a silly little boat like that. So if anyone's got reading pictures, to, uh, reading stories to their kids at home and you've got books with pictures of Noah's Ark like that, then if it's a bit cold tomorrow, then use your book to light the fire with, okay? <laughs> no, honestly, we don't want to teach our children that the Bible's a fairy tale, that it's nonsense. Because Noah's Ark, Ark, we would call it a barge in modern terminology. It didn't have an engine or anything like that. It didn't have a rudder or a sail or anything as far as we know. just had to survive the storm for a little bit over a year. Well, actually, the first four or so months was um, with the water and then the last five months for the water to slowly go down and it to settle and the mud to dry. So it was huge. It was as high as a, a modern five-story building, 140 metres long. There was plenty of room for a couple of um, uh, lions to go on the ark. This one I'll take down to the book table. You can look later. We've got the animals printed to scale, and you'll be able to see later. But there was plenty of room for lions and elephants and giraffes. They didn't have to poke their head out the top. Oh, what about the dinosaurs? The ark was as tall as a modern five-story building. The biggest dinosaur we found, they believe, could have put its head into a seven-story building. So that means the Bible doesn't make sense because how could that dinosaur have gotten on the... Oh, hold on a minute. What dinosaurs would Mr. and Mrs. Noah take onto the ark? Would they take Grandma and Granddad dinosaur on the ark? Uh, with respect to all the grey hair in the room, including mine. What animals would they want to take on the ark? What sort of age group? Young adults, probably, because they have to procreate, refill the earth after the flood. So how big was a young adult dinosaur? 
Well, this is historical science. We can't bring them back to life. As far as we know, we found fossilised dinosaur eggs, and the biggest eggs we found are roughly the size of a New Zealand rugby ball. So as far as we currently know, we don't know if they were warm-blooded or cold-blooded yet, lots of things we don't know, but as far as we know, those huge dinosaurs at one stage must have been a little lizard inside an egg this big, flipped out his tail when he, when he um, chewed his way out of the egg, and he's probably a cute little lizard when he's a little fellow, isn't he? Yeah, and so Noah um, easily could have taken a young adult dinosaur onto the ark, it turns out. Hold on a minute. Dinosaurs are pretty impressive creatures. And the Bible has 6,000 years of history going right back to the creation of the land animals on the sixth day. So surely it would mention dinosaurs in the Bible, wouldn't it? Well, if you looked in your King James Version... Um, which was translated, um, authorised in the 1600s, actually you won't find the word dinosaur in there because the word dinosaur is a fairly recent invention. The word computer was invented before the word dinosaur. The word dinosaur was invented by Sir Richard Owen in AD 41 or 2. And so it's actually a relatively recent word. Oh, but what word might you find in your King James Concordance? The old word for dinosaur, what was that? Dragon. Oh, if we have any stories about dragons in, in um, our cultural heritage? Any stories about the Tanifa in New Zealand's cultural heritage? Anyone know the flag of Wales as a dragon? Where did that come from? Anyone know about the 12, um, the 12 animals the year, uh, from China, the year of the rabbit and the horse? And that? Did you know the 12th animal is a dragon? Why would they be 11 real animals and one made up one? Could it be that dragon is the ancient name for dinosaur? Yes, we believe it was. And uh, lots of materials out there on the book table. So the biblical history would tell us that dinosaurs were created on day six, the land animals, that they lived the same time as people. Oh, were they scary? What did all the animals eat at creation? They were all herbivores when they were created. So they lived at the same time as people. They went on the ark. They came off the ark. And here on the left is a pillar from one of the temples of Angkor Wat in Cambodia, built by um, ancient Buddhist monks about a 1,000 years ago. And on that pillar there, blown up on the right, is a picture that looks, an engraving looks like a stegosaurus. How did they know what a stegosaurus looked like a thousand years ago? Did they chip them out of the rocks and lay them out in museums and see what they looked like? No. Actually, all around the world, I've got a whole one-hour talk on the cultural um, dinosaurs all around the, the world. Not only that, just in recent years, in the last 10 or so years, we found remnants of red blood cells in dinosaur bones that they originally claimed, well, they still claim they were 68 million years old. And they've got remnants of red blood cells. And when, when you dissolve some of the hard part of the bone, there's soft, stretchy stuff inside the bones of a T-Rex dinosaur. And, and they've done it on other dinosaur bones. Can you imagine that a 65-million-year-old bone would still have some soft, flexible stuff still inside that bone? They're doing um, their PhDs now on how flexible stuff can last for 68 million years and how remnants of red blood cells, honestly, they are. What would we expect to look around the world if there had been a worldwide flood? We'd expect to see layers of rock that are laid down by water, so we'd expect to see horizontal layers, you know how water finds its own level, full of crushed up rock, sedimentary rock, it's been crushed up and laid down as sediment, and with the fossils of 
many creatures in them. 99.9% of the fossils in the world are marine creatures, sea animals, and those layers of rock. And where do we find those layers of rock? Yeah, all through the Grand Canyon, on the top of Mount Cook. I haven't been up there, but I'm told by those who have. On the top layers of Mount Everest. I went back to university, studied geology, and they said, yes, it's true. They said there are layers of um, rocks with sea marine creatures in them, even on the highest mountains, because they believed that New Zealand formed under the ocean, and then it came up, and it went down, and came up, and went down. They believe we're on the third time up, just now. And I put up my hand, and I said... <laughs> I was surprised, actually. I was surprised that they agreed. I didn't have to say New Zealand has been covered by the ocean. They, they agree at that point. And I said, excuse me, could it be that the ocean came over the land rather than islands that go up and down? And, and no, they're not open to that idea, um, I think, because it's in the Bible. Last year, I had the privilege of going to the USA for a trip. I went to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens surprised a lot of scientists when it erupted in 1980, but it didn't go up like that. They had cleared out a lot of people, there was a lot of earthquakes, and they'd cleared out people uh, from a certain radius, but unfortunately, the mountain, when it blew out, it blew out sideways, and I think 50-plus people um, were buried um, that lived on that particular side. But when Mount St. Helens erupted, 1980 it was, then see all those layers there? Were you ever taught at school that all the layers in the rocks took like millions of years for the dust to come down? Eight metres of layers. Do you know how many million years it took? Well, it formed at St. Helens, so 1980 can't have been too many millions of years ago. All of those eight metres of layers formed in less than 24 hours. Okay? How did it form? The mountain, the dust, and the ash, and it comes down and it settles into layers as it comes down and settles there. And then here's a canyon. This canyon is one fortieth the size of the Grand Canyon. It's also um, below Mount St. Helens. It's solid rock there on the left and on the right, solid rock, and it's got a little river in the bottom. How many millions of years do you think it took that little river to carve that canyon, one fortieth of the Grand Canyon? Well, in this case, we know, because we saw it happen, and it took three days. Okay, Because when that mountain blew out sideways, it destroyed all this forest and all the trees got tangled up and formed a great big lake of hot water now from the, the volcano and the melted snow and everything. And then suddenly that burst and it's like thick porridge, thick lumpy porridge, stones and rocks and stuff. It rushed down that valley and it carved that out in three days. One fortieth the size of Grand Canyon. So maybe Grand Canyon took a couple of weeks for the water to create as it drained off. Imagine this table as the USA and the water is draining off as the floodwaters go down. It's rushing out here. Some of it gets um, dammed up in a lake and then burst down and formed that Grand Canyon. So don't listen to all that stuff about the, the millions of years. Well, listen to it sceptically and think, actually, there's another possible alternative that you could see if your eyes were only open. And my last example I want to show you is just about the, the um, timing of the Big Bang. Anyone looked at Halley's Comet or any other comet? Anyone got telescopes here? We love to look at comets when they come past because they leave a shiny trail. Do you know what that trail is? Or do you know what a comet is? A comet is basically a big, dirty snowball. It's basically frozen ices, so it'd be water ice and, and other ices and dirt and rock and dust and stuff. And as it comes past the sun, what do you think happens to a frozen snowball? Melts a little bit. And as it melts, I guess it all ionizes and leaves that beautiful trail there. 
what happens to a snowball that melts a little bit every time it comes past the sun? It might be every 80 years. gets smaller and smaller. So you could work out uh, 13.7 billion years ago or 4.5 billion years ago how big it No, it couldn't have existed all those millions and billions of years ago. Those comets show us that they, actually even Halley's Comet, last time it came past, was already a bit of a fizzler. It didn't look so impressive. Getting smaller. Oh, but the evolutionist must have an answer. What's the answer? A comet factory up in space. (laughs) No, seriously, they they have two proposals uh, for comets, um, but actually unobserved. They are still a theory. They are unobserved. Um, the Oort built and the, the Kuiper built, um, where they believe that comets must have come from. No, comets show us that our solar system is actually just a few thousands of years old and not millions of years old. Can you see how that if you open your eyes to all the evidence, there's so many things. I could, could actually speak for another three or four hours without stopping. I'm not going to. But yeah, there's so much evidence. And um, I do encourage you, you are no fool in 2018, if you trust the Bible still as God's word, it has never been proven wrong. Archaeology continues to confirm it to be true. We can't prove that it's true, by the way. Science can't prove anything true. And um, we can't prove creation any more than they can prove anything else. But actually, it could be proven wrong, and it has not been. Okay, the, the science is still showing that we can trust the Bible as God's word even in 2018. I've built my life on it. I hope you have too. God bless you all. The thing is though, just my final slide, please if you're just discussing it with others, with non-believers, don't sound like a know-it-all. I'm sorry if I did in my short time. I didn't mean to. But we do want to learn some of the stuff so we can answer people's questions, remove their objections from trusting in the God who made us. We all have a loving Father in heaven who loves us and cares about us. We were made in his image. God bless you all.